Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Igor's Lab Monsterific Podcast. This is episode 79, and as always, I am your host, AC, joined by my podcast partner, Mr. Jason John Beebe. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Hopefully you can hear me, because apparently I have a very shitty connection. Well, yeah, we, we, just, we just lost you, like, twice in that one sentence. <laughs> so... What's the matter? I think I'm going to throw up. Don't you do it! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Give me a system status report, please. There are sharks flooding the streets. Seven years of college down the drain. Shall we play a game? It's a trap! You son of a bitch. Hold on tight. I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen. Uh, but anyway, uh, tonight we have a guest, a special guest on, Mr. Jason McNeil. What's up, Jason? Not, not much. Um, various and sundry things. First of all, Igor's podcast? Igor's. It's pronounced Igor. It's pronounced Igor. <laughs> if you're a young Frankenstein fan, yes. Yeah, shit. Young Frankenstein. Am I the only one? This is a great start. All right, throw it out. Cricket. Sorry. Move on. Anyway, Hi. Nice to hear everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's hope we can hear Jason. Um, Jason Beebe, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> well, so it's it's funny because um, you and Jason both star in a uh, upcoming film called Crossbreed, which should be out, I believe, February 9th, correct? Um, yeah. February 5th. 5th. February 5th for the masses. And I had a uh, screener sent to me, so I actually got to watch the film. But I was telling Jason that I got the screener, and he's like, oh, you know, there's a, another Jason on the film that I work with who said he wants to come on. So, you know, here we are. Just It's funny how I just watched the film so I can kind of talk about the film without giving away any spoilers. And then you guys can uh, kind of give us an idea of how it was working on the film. So... I guess we should start by um, how you guys met on the set of Crossbreed. So whichever uh, Jason uh, wants to well, take it. Jump in. Uh, you, you tell him. All I remember I'm is gonna that, that, real, I'm gonna that real. Um, the first that I met, actually, from the Hollywood crew was Jason. And I have to say, what happened was all the main and somewhat main actors met at a dojo in Buffalo and I believe it was a BJJ center, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and um, Jason showed up to do a little uh, kind of fight choreography or to, you know, just kind of see where we were physically with all the actors and um, so he, he, he walked in and I instantly saw this, you know, blonde hair cut shape guy chiseled uh teacher, you know, and I might have had a small heterosexual crush, and then I looked at his shirt, and he's wearing a big, (laughs) well, a a mediocre picture, right? (laughs) So then I look at his shirt, (laughs) and he's wearing a ass man. To me and you, AC, that means a lot, because it's such a small world. Big Ass Spiders was a movie that uh, was directed by a former uh, guest of ours, Mike Mendez, 
and he had done the movie Big Ass Spider. So I went up to Jason and I said, yeah, I, I mentioned it to him, and he thought it was the coolest thing. And then he told me, oh yeah, I never saw the movie. I showed up at a uh, Starner Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> just, uh, that was the funniest, and most ironic thing. Uh, yeah, I got to tell Mike. I was like, "Hey, uh, FYI, your shirt was in a thrift store <laughs> for, for for a couple of bucks. They were able to pick up a big ass spider shirt." Oh my god, I have since seen the film and I enjoyed it. I, I, I really did. I felt kind of guilty about that. It's like walking around wearing a band shirt for you know a band you haven't seen. You just feel like a poser. Literally, I picked it because it was red and black and it matched you know, my sweats. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I did feel a little guilty about that. It was sort of. Sort of a little movie nerd shaming there, but I did. I went back and I saw it, and I really enjoyed it. So uh, tell your buddy, good work. Yeah, it, it is a funny uh, funny little film. Um, so that's how you guys met. I'm sure uh, Jace was probably like, God damn it, what does this kid want? Why is he bugging me sort of thing. Did Did you guys actually – You guys <laughs> did you guys film in Buffalo? Is that where it actually filmed? Yeah, we actually – well, see, that was the thing. That was why we had the uh, do- Dojo Day. Uh, we cast several of the fil- several of the film's leads and a um, couple of the supporting guys, a couple of the stunt people out of Los Angeles. And we actually filmed a little bit in Los Angeles. And then we came to Buffalo and did the primary filming there. And the reason I was pushing, pushing, pushing for this Dojo Day was for whatever things I don't understand, tax incentives and all that crap – um, you had to cast, you know, a certain number of people local. So I get there, and it's the first time in my life I'm working with a cast that I mostly have not met. Right. And it's an action film, so I'm like, okay, um, let me see what they can do, and I hope they don't suck. <laughs> and luckily, I can attest firsthand they did not suck. And uh, so we, you know, got together, and I just found out kind of what everyone could do, and we. Um, Built the, built the choreography to everyone's strengths, shall we say. Um, I should probably back up two seconds and say, um, to make this make some sense, uh, I was pulling double duty on this film. I, uh, I play a character, uh, call sign Degenerate. He's the one with the big crazy hair. Yeah, the Street Fighter hair, right? Street Fighter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah the, yeah, the uh, street, street Fighter hair. I look like uh, Ken from uh, Street Fighter. Super, Super, Super Saiyan Goku is what I was going for. But uh, I was also the um, stunt coordinator and fight director on this thing. So I just basically didn't sleep for the whole 15 days we were there. Jeez. But that's that's why I was trying to um, figure out what everyone could do. I'm like, oh, crap, we're going to put fights together. And we did. I'm very pleased with what we came up with. So there you go. That's actually, that's actually uh, kind of news to me. Maybe, maybe it's not. I don't know. That was like about a year and a half, two years ago. But So you actually um, – the fight scenes weren't written until you found out our strengths and weaknesses, and then you kind of based the uh, writing off of what you saw. Yeah, I was all. Is that kind of correct? Yeah, I had a loose idea of what I wanted to do, and then I got there and I said, um, you know, as all of us come out of low budget film world. You know, no one but Steven Seagal starts out with his name over the title. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> We all sort of get used to thinking on our feet, and uh, that that served me well. I got there, and you know, I had to see what everyone could do, and that I'm kind of repeating myself now. But yeah, luckily, uh, we managed to pull in our uh, director Brandon Brandon Slagle took great interest in looking at the audition tapes and finding out everyone's skill set and everything. And we had some guys who had some really serious martial arts skills and were physical guys. 
the whole time we were talking about this in L.A., we we kept referencing uh, Commando that we wanted, you know, uh, Commando and Predator. Right. That we really wanted, you know, physical guys, a physical team that, that you could tell those guys that, would, you know, could really do it. And so we ended up with martial arts guys. Uh, BB himself has, you know, he has a martial arts background. Um, you got uh, Stink Fisher, who played Boss, who was our uh, commander. He's done a little bit of uh, martial arts, and, and, and he was a professional, professional football player. And, you know, you got all these guys. We got guys that are acrobats, guys. Uh, one of the, uh, the, the guy that played Noob, uh, Brandon Williams, uh, had done a bit of martial arts, and he's actually um, apprenticing to a Shaolin monk now in Los Angeles. He shaved his head wearing orange robes, and he's doing Shaolin Kung Fu. So these were these were really really seriously physical guys with real martial arts skills. I could not have been happier. I was scared shitless, and yes, there's where I couldn't shit. I was scared <laughs> scared shitless when I showed up, and these guys really just stepped it up and made me very very happy. Very cool. So you said you was did. That answer or should I ramble? Some no, more? no, 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 no. That was good. So you, you did. So you you actually do stunt work and acting. So. What what came first? Was it the stunt work that came first, and then the acting, or vice versa? Uh, writing, believe it or not. I oh, was, okay. Um, I my background is in martial arts, and uh, I majored in English in college. And uh, I had this crazy idea I was going to be a high school teacher, and that didn't work out. So I said, "Oh, um, movie star, sure, fine." And um, the thought that would go left. And the <laughs> and um, I was writing for martial arts magazines, and that sort of segued into I had a newspaper column for a while, and I kept getting these entertainment gigs. They would send me to be an entertainment writer, and I kind of decided that I liked their job better than mine. Right. So because I had a martial arts background, that led me into very easily getting into into doing fights and stunts. But um, that's you know that which. What I re- what I, I I call myself an actor who could do some stuff. I'm not a stunt man. <laughs> right. Uh, my friend Luke Lafontaine has been a stunt man for you know years and years and years, and he always said uh, he's from that part of he's from that part of New York. It's always you know him and uh, him and Cece Deville from Poison seem to be from the same street. They have that one accent. Yeah. And uh, Luke and Luke says uh, Jason, there's like there's there's like career stunt guys and there's actors who can do some stuff. You're an actor who can do a lot of stuff. And I'm like, well, thank you, Luke. I'll take that as a back-end compliment. <laughs> <laughs> but so, there we go. <laughs> uh, just, uh, I, I want to get into kind of your uh, martial arts stuff. Um, how old were you when you got into martial arts? Because I, I got to say, like, obviously I didn't know you uh, um, compared to this. I, you know, you're from California, I'm from New York. At the dojo, and we did our thing. That we were on set for a couple of days. You know, it's been two years, and we've had some Facebook conversations personally, and I kind of got an idea how involved you have in martial arts. And um, for me personally, that that means a lot. I think that's really cool because martial arts, though I have not even close to uh, uh, the background you have, um, it's been something that's been close to me my whole life that, that I've always uh, respected. Um, so, just out of curiosity, how old were you when you got into martial arts? And what made you gain an interest in it? And just kind of like speak on on that. Your, your kind of, you know, your, your martial arts life. Um, well, 
Um, I can pretty much sum that up in Canon Films, which brings us back to our question. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I was 12 years old, and C Cinemax was showing... It, it hadn't graduated to full-on Skinemax back then. It was just uh, Skinemax, uh, Cinemax would show kind of the second-tier movies, what was you know last month's crap on HBO. And one summer, they were just showing Beastmaster over and over and over and over and over. And so I'm sitting down, I'm watching Beastmaster, and Beastmaster goes off, and Enter the Ninja comes on. Yes. <laughs> yep. With Frank O'Meara and Sho Kasugi. And I was hooked. I could not stop watching this movie and you know, I went upstairs and I was I was at that age I'd always been a comic book kid I was really into Batman you know Superman whatever I think Halloween I was I was Superman twice and I was Batman three times but you know 12 years old you're starting to reach that age where you begrudgingly have to admit that maybe superhero is not a viable career option all right <laughs> and, and then I see enter the ninja and I'm like holy crap ninjas are real you know, ninjas are like real superheroes. There's masks and there's swords and there's weapons and they have adventures. So I walked upstairs at 12 years old, um, chubby white kid with glasses and a stutter. And I announced to my mother that I have to take martial arts lessons. And to her credit, she goes, okay. <laughs> and she looks around and uh, she signed me up at um, a, a uh, Kung Fu Wushu school called uh, Shaolin Dragons Martial Arts. This is when I lived in, uh, in Virginia. And I did that for years and years, and I got my first black belt there. And I was on the show team. We actually, you know, we had a, we had a tour bus. We went up and went all up and down the East Coast, uh, doing shows and thinking we were rock stars because we were teenagers. All right. And then I went to um, about the time I left there, I went to Radford University, which has an internationally known martial arts program. Was actually secondary in my reason for choosing it. Uh, I knew I was going to major in English, and Radford was a notorious party school at the time. Uh -huh. And I and I thought I can get an English degree anywhere. I might as well go where there's you know lots of liquor and eighteen year old females. But so uh, I got up, I got up there. Oh, at the, at the at the time I think Radford was uh, second in the nation per, per capita consumption of alcohol for colleges and. Um, Jeez. I believe the 7-Eleven across from the university, somebody told me this, I haven't independently confirmed it, but for three years running, the 7-Eleven across from the university sold more beer than any other 7-Eleven in the entire United States. <laughs> did you quickly did you did you contribute to that stati uh, statistic? No, no, I don't like beer. beer. I was a vodka guy. But... Um, okay. <laughs> but uh, we went. That's actually that's actually what I'm that's actually what I'm drinking now. So <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, but so I got to Radford University, and the, the interesting thing uh, I was there in the late '90s, early 2000s. And the interesting thing about um, Radford, it does have this internationally known martial arts program. Every summer they have a camp, and uh, before he passed away, uh, Joe Lewis, who was the world heavyweight kickboxing champion. And Bill Super yeah. Wallace, who was the middle foot, uh, the middleweight kick, kickboxing champion, uh, would come teach every summer. Henzo Gracie teaches there. Uh, they would have, um, oh God, let me see. They had special guest instructors were Kathy Long and June Ree came and taught one summer, and uh, Stephen Hayes taught one summer. And it's just they they bring all these world class martial artists to your door. And um, at the same time, so I was learning Tai Chi. How's this for a lengthy answer? You ask. Um, the, um, 
I was sparring with a buddy of mine that I had been training Tai Chi at his do dojo, and he invited me one day to spar. And I was a baby black belt. I've, I've been black belt for about eight months, and I was on the show team. I was pretty cocky, you know. And uh, just got my ass kicked. Within about 30 seconds, I was on the ground sucking air. <laughs> and every martial artist, if you graduate to the big leagues, has this moment where you just get schooled. And you got to decide what you got to decide what to do at that point. And I got my breath back, literally as on my hands and knees, sucking wind. I got my breath back, and I said, can you teach me to do that? I want to meet your teacher. And he went and he introduced me to his teacher who owned a Chinese restaurant called uh, Canton Chinese Restaurant. And I ended up, um, I worked at the restaurant. I washed dishes and waited tables. And then we would do the prepping at night, and then we'd close up and we'd train in the parking lot. Oh, wow. Uh, in, in the, in the uh, middle of the night. And uh, so that's – also I moved into the dojo. I lived in the dojo for a while. So all this to say, um, I'm actually working on, working on an article for this for a magazine that I promise will be a little more coherent when it comes out. <laughs> but um, being at Radford in the late 90s was, was, was like being at martial arts Woodstock. You were just in the middle of something, and you knew it was amazing. And it, at one point I was training 15 times a week. Damn. And they were literally bringing – and I lived in the dojo, and they were bringing championship martial artists to walking distance to my house. And so it was just friggin' amazing. And then I got out, and in 2002... Wow. This is all in Virginia? This is all in Virginia. This is at Radford University. And a, a little... Radford yeah, I mean, is just, 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 just a day, I mean, in practice. But you, you typically mentioned uh, Joe Lewis... Not to get confused with the, the brown bomb or the boxer, but Joe Lewis, martial artist, and Bill Superfoot Wallace were literally the most popular and successful uh, uh, karate guys and, and kicks, kickboxers in the 60s and 70s. I mean, like, in the martial arts world, these guys are, are legends. So, oh, yeah. I mean, that, that's awesome that you did to get that opportunity, you know, for, for them to visit you and to, to interact with them. That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't sleep for about four years. That's well, that's a damn lie. I'd sleep about three hours a night and then I would, um, I'd catch up on Sundays. But <laughs> let me tell you this. Let me tell you a Joe Lewis story while we're here. Uh, true story. Uh, uh, Dr. Beasley, uh, Dr. Jerry Beasley, who runs the Radford Martial Arts Program, uh, he knew I had some writing aspirations. And my very first interview for a magazine I ever did was with Joe Lewis. Oh, wow. And he set it up, and I met Joe, and I was, you know, in my 20s, uh, early 20s, and I didn't know what a puff piece was. <laughs> right. And that's what Joe was expecting. And I went in there for some reason, I guess all I can say is I was in my early 20s and I was dumb, went in there for some reason to determine to get, you know, a really good hard-hitting article. And that's what I got, is I spent about an hour asking Joe a bunch of questions that really pissed him off. <laughs> like, I, I did my homework, and I was like, well, you know, you say, you know, you represent that you teach Bruce Lee's art, but you only study with Bruce, you and Bruce had a falling out, and all this, and I'm asking him all these questions, and he's just sitting there getting madder and madder and madder. <laughs> well, hold on, hold on, I, I have to know. Give me a couple of examples of questions you asked him to and what was his answer to that of having a fallen out with William? Uh, well, what ended up happening, um, he was um, <laughs> he was the only world 
champion martial artist that Bruce ever trained. Uh, they got together. He was already a champ, and then Bruce made him better. Now, what happened, though, was Bruce Bruce had not broken yet. Uh, he was still running around training famous people, hoping to, to get somebody's attention. And uh, Joe has many, many, many fine qualities. He was a genius martial artist. Was not, a, was not, was not always the most uh, sensitive guy. And I think they started having a little bit of an ego clash. And Joe actually did not study with him for as long as some people did. Uh, I never did find out exactly why it happened, but they went to some tournament, and Joe won the grand championship. And when they announced uh, his teacher, Bruce Lee was standing beside him, and they said someone else's name. Uh, he had listed his teacher oh, from wow. Okinawa, and that really pissed Bruce off. And they had some kind of falling out about that. And then Joe, wow. Joe was um, supposed to do the Chuck Norris role in Return of the Dragon, Way of the Dragon. He was supposed to play the Chuck Norris role and fight Bruce in the Roman Coliseum at the climax of that movie. And Joe turned it down for whatever reason. They had their falling out, and it went to Chuck, Chuck, uh, went to Chuck Norris. And Joe went off and made Jaguar Lives, which is my friend and Anthony Delonge's first movie. It's worth watching once. <laughs> I, 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 have to, I have to ask you a question about that. First of all, I just had deja vu. I'm not going to explain it. I just feel like I should mention that. But the question is, now the story... The story I've heard is, and I've heard it from Chuck Norris, from Chuck, not really, but from watching interviews with him, um, that Bruce came to him and, and offered him the role, saying, "You're the, uh, you know, you're the, you're, you're the current champion. I want to fight you in my mates." And basically, Chuck said, "Okay, do I win?" Bruce said, "No." Oh, I do. So, so is that true or not? I mean. I, I never heard that it was the role was offered to someone before Chuck. Well, I cannot independently. At the time, I think Chuck. Well, I think Chuck was champion at the time of filming, or or maybe right before filming happened. Um, I you know I can't swear to that. That's what I was told, and I've heard that from a few different people. Um, I, I you know I wouldn't swear to it in a court of court, court of law. Uh, it's all anecdotal. Mm -hmm. Um, but that having been said, um, Joe. Lewis had a couple of those. Uh, he was originally, you remember the infamous, um, when Muhammad Ali fought, uh, what's his name, Enzo, the Japanese guy, and uh, Gene LaBelle was the referee? And Tony Anaki. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, was, yeah. that was originally supposed to be Joe. Uh, it was going to okay. be the boxing champ versus the karate champ, or the kick, kick, kickboxing champ, or whatever. And uh, Joe ended up... Uh, I think Muhammad Ali started trash talking him during uh, during some training, and, and uh, they ended up getting into it. And Joe lost that one, and it uh, went to the other guy. So Joe was Joe was one of these guys I always recall as a flawed genius. Was absolutely the greatest fighter I have. I should uh, let me say the greatest um, kickboxer I have ever had the unfortunate whatever of sparring with. Uh, he's absolutely a brilliant fighter and was not always good at making decisions in his life. <laughs> so um, his life could have gone a lot of different ways, and, you know, he's since passed on, and uh, rest in peace. I don't want to say anything bad about him. I learned a lot from him. Right. But, uh, so how did your – He's a cautionary. 
Oh, okay. How did my sparring? How, how did your sparring session? Yeah. How, how did that go? Your sparring session? I mean, was it like um, you guys went and added, or you went half? You know, fifty percent, whatever. Here's the thing. That's where I was going. Um, as as I said, just to recap, I sat there and I asked Joe questions for an hour that pissed him off, and he got madder and madder and madder. And I was originally just supposed to do the interview. Well, then Joe says, uh, we finish up, and I say, hey, thank you, whatever. And then he says, you know what? I'm doing a, a, a demo over here at uh, Rad- Radford University. Would you like to come ookie for me? And I said, sure, <laughs> like a dumbass. <laughs> I, I just spent an hour poking the tiger, and then the tiger says, you want to climb in a cage? And I went, sure. <laughs> so I went home and got my shiniest red and black gi, you know, my red and black satin gi, and got my, my you know, my, my minty new black belt. I got dressed up, and I'm down there, and Joe's just, you know, there's 100 people watching. And Joe's just kind of in the corner quietly stretching, you know, and the audience is looking at me, and I got my, flipping my hair around, and I'm doing jump spinning tornado kicks and all this stuff, limp, just <laughs> totally cheesing it up. And then this thing starts, and Joe beat me mercilessly for two hours in front of a hundred people. Uh, there's two hours. It was, it was, it was a two hour demo. There was supposed to be three of us, uh, ookieing for him. Uh, I got it for like an hour and 40 minutes and the other guys got 10 minutes each. And uh, friends of mine, like guys that I hadn't wow. even trained with, will still talk about that to this day. They were like, man, that was some rough shit. We, we sat there watching it going, Oh my God, I wouldn't want to be Joe's partner. But he just beat me and beat me and beat me and beat me. Right. And um, to this day, I have um, my front two teeth. I have cracked enamel right along the gum line from uh, the infamous Joe Lewis sliding sidekick. <laughs> I literally you know, spit some pe- oh, spit wow. pieces of teeth uh, from where he nailed me. And you know, I look back were on him. Were you guys wearing, were you guys wearing headgear? Um, no. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was just, it was just a demo. I, like I said, I'd been on the show team. I'd be, I'd done a million shows and, um, I pissed Joe Lewis off and then agreed to be his, uh, punching target. And there really, you know, there wasn't much I could do at that point. I didn't have the skill and there was a reason he was the heavyweight kickboxing champion of the world. Right. And, Absolutely. and, uh, he's one of the best world ever. So I learned a valuable lesson there. I mean, sometimes I have to learn things the hard, hard way, but uh, I got I got a serious attitude adjustment in front of about 100 people. And uh, uh, when I showed up to the dojo the next so, day, uh, my fr- uh, my friend John, I came I came into the dojo to train, and he said, Jesus Christ, it looks like you got mugged. <laughs> <laughs> Would that I had. It would have been less painful. After, after the match, after the uh, demo there, you guys able to um... – talk backstage and, and interact oh yeah uh, um we were he was he was sort of fine i was just trying to recover but um i was right. i was at radford for about four more years after that i did the five-year plan and um <laughs> i trained with joe a lot after that you know he was um he was a very in his heart a good guy and a very brilliant fighter and um you just but he just had to understand that he was the champ and I was not. And there was a reason for that. And I understood that pretty damn quick. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, how, how, how much interaction did you have with uh, Wallace? And then after you answer that, we can maybe talk about the fight that Bill Wallace and Joe Lewis had together, which 
they were, I mean, it was way out of their prime. They were in the mid-40s, and they, they outperformed some 20-year-olds. But that's that's on YouTube if anyone wants to look it up. But did you have interaction with Bill Wallace as well, like you did with Joe? I did. Um, actually, I tell people I am certainly not a kicker in Bill Wallace's league. No one is. Uh, he's, to this day, yeah, no one's great kicker. Uh, uh, that's why they call it. I'm super fun. Um, you know the story behind that nickname, right? I do the hot dog. Yeah, soup, 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 uh, super foot long hot hot, hot dog. Um, right. Wallet, I tell, I use his kicking methodology to this day. Um, where I learned kicking in the past, I learned basic kicking at you know my uh, kung fu wushu school. Lots of jump spinny stuff and high kicks and whatever. And then the kung fu style that I specialized in, uh, Dragon Tiger Eagle, which is a system that's mostly based off of uh, Chola Foot, um, does not have a lot of kicking in it. And it has a lot to do with the fact that my Sifu is a short guy. He looks like a fire hydrant with arms <laughs> and um, does not have a lot of really advanced kicking. Uh, his name's Chi Chun Kuang, I should mention. And uh, he, so he has very kind of, you know, I'm almost a foot taller than him. So I had to adjust the techniques to work. And so what I do specifically tends to be uh, – very chola foot influenced, but Bill Wallace style kicking as much as anyone is able to kick like Bill Wallace. Um, technically brilliant, world's world's nicest guy. Um, very very fun. The, uh, the, uh, the nice thing about Radford University when you when you have a karate college in the summer is they're in for like five days. The instructors are in, and it's a college town in summer, so there ain't much going on. There's lots of restaurants some bars and stuff you can go out to afterwards and have a bite to eat. And just to go hang out with Superfoot, even if you didn't do his seminar, you'd be stupid to have him in town and not do a seminar. But it would be worth it just to hang out with the guy because he has lived. He, he, will, he will tell you Elvis stories that will just, oh, my God, keep keep talking. I'm going to pay for your meal. Keep telling me about Elvis, you know, or, you know, John nice. Belushi or any of the other, you know, any of the other folks. Actually, I'm going to have to look up on YouTube. If they're on YouTube, I'll hear some Elvis stories because I'm a martial arts guy, but I'm a huge Elvis fan. Well, um, Bill used to run a, uh, a dojo. He ran a dojo for Elvis. Uh, Elvis couldn't uh, – I got in my head I was going to write the definitive um, Elvis article. Everybody knows about you know Elvis did karate, and it's, sometimes it's a punchline and, and whatever. I decided I was just going to get the final word on this, so I started interviewing people that had trained with him. And Bill, Bill was one of those. Bill used to run a school for him because uh, Elvis couldn't just go in anywhere and train because he was Elvis. So in his Elvis move, he bought a dojo and had Bill run it for him, and then he could just come in whenever he wanted to. Wow. <laughs> and and uh, that's where some of those very famous famous pictures of him in his, uh, in his gi teaching a, te teaching a class, that was taken there at uh, well, Chase, since you have some inside knowledge of this, I have to ask, what did Bill say about Elvis's uh, true ability in, in martial arts? I heard his mind was really well, like, you know, meditative states and everything. Um, whatever you want to share, what, what did Bill say about Elvis and martial arts? Well, you know, it's been so long. Um, I wrote the article, and it ended up getting shut down because um, – I think uh, Graceland. I couldn't get approval for any of the pictures. Graceland didn't didn't want me to write it. And they kind of indirectly shut it, shut, 
shut it down. Uh, I talked to Bill. I talked to um, Ed Parker Jr. and I talked to um, a couple of other people who had worked worked with Elvis. And um, I don't remember who said what, but but the impression I got was at the end of the day, Elvis had two great passions in life: music and martial arts. And he was a genius in one, and very mediocre in the other. But he was passionate about both. He was very, very enthusiastic about both, very, 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 very passionate about both. He just was not super gifted in martial arts. But that didn't mean that he didn't work his ass off and he wasn't passionate about it and put in time. So that's what I was I talking about. I got you. Okay, I got you. Yeah. So you said that you originally started off as a writer. So what then got you into the movies? Is it... What was like your first film? Did you go on as a writer, as a stunt person with all your karate background or as an actor? Uh, let me see. I did a little bit on a film called um, – all right, gather my thoughts. We were sitting over at my Sifu's house um, drinking one night. He had fixed us all dinner. Like I said, he owned a restaurant. And uh, he fixed this dinner, and I don't think it was a Cobra whiskey night, so it wasn't serious. But it was, you know, we were all feeling pretty, pretty good. And um, and my Shihang, which is um, it's Cantonese for older kung fu brother, uh, my senior student uh, James Houston, uh, who was also in the movie briefly. I think he was your lieutenant there, uh, Overcheck. Uh, James, the uh, shaved head. Yeah, he came up because uh, he's also. Um, Anthony Delange says James is the best all-around martial artist he's ever met. Uh, he's skilled in uh, karate and kung fu and aikijitsu and a few other things. And he was there to help me with the aikijitsu to do some of the throws and take falls and stuff. And uh, so, so anyway, James had been trying to get a TV show together, uh, and it really wasn't taking off. He had this local radio personality who just was not getting it. As uh, as uh, Costello to his abbot, and we were sitting around drunk one night, and I'd been kind of thinking about it because I've done a few, you know, inter- I've you know, been doing some entertainment interviews and hanging out backstage at concerts and going to movie sets and stuff, and um, did a little PR and just a little tiny bit of uh, um, screen work on a film called. Um, it ended up being called Andre the Butcher, which is a funny story in and of itself. I'll come back to that. But um, I was sitting there with James, and I kind of looked at him out of one eye and slurred out. I said, so what's it take to get a TV show on the air anyway? And he said, oh. And we started talking. And we came up with the idea for a TV show that uh, it was originally called Sidekick Cinema. Uh, We found out there was a copyright thing, so it ended up uh, being called Star Stunts Action. And where we went out to Hollywood and we went behind the scenes on action movies. And we would interview like, uh, the very first interview I did was Shokasugi because they said it could be anybody. They just needed it for a proof of concept thing. So I interviewed Shokasugi. Uh, second person I interviewed was Anthony Delongis, who is, uh, both an actor and a real world swordsman and, uh, IMDB and he's, Got a million credits. Right. Uh, he ended up being my very good friend and my uh, my fight choreography and martial arts teacher in Los Angeles. 
and we would interview people. We've interviewed Danny Trejo and Michael Madsen and Zoe Bell and all these folks. Right. And then, because of our physical background, we could do the stunt training too. So we we would learn to do high falls, and we would you know jump off a building, and we did stunt car training, and we got set on fire and all kinds of crap. And this was all the behind the scenes. This was the show. Right. And, and so in the process, we met everybody. <laughs> So it was like, okay, well, shit. Um, I finally decided I wanted to get serious about it. Star Steps action kind of stalled in the water for a little while. So um, I decided, you know, I'm going to make the move. I'm going to be an actor. So I took a role. The very next thing that came along was a role uh, in a film called um, Legend of the Red Reaper, which was um, a young lady had decided to turn her cosplay character into a feature film. In Florida. And I flew myself down there. I said, I'm just going to grab anything I can, and I'll find some thread I can pull on to get my career going. Mm-hmm. Uh, I paid to fly myself down there. I was there 10 days. was just to be a stunt demon. And so I did some sword fighting. I did some stunt demoning. I ended up being the assistant fight coordinator because somebody flakes out. You know, in low-budget low, low film, if you have skills, there's always a chance to step up and show off. Right. And then one day... Um, in addition to stunt, stunt demoning, two other things happened. Number one, they um, – actually, three other things ha- happened. Uh, Kevin Sorbo was supposed to come in and do a cameo. And with Lloyd Kaufman from Troma Films, who I believe you know, B.B. Yeah. yeah, 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 definitely. He, he was supposed to come in and do a cameo with Lloyd. Well, Lloyd shows up and, and um, Sorbo blew it off. Well, in true Greg Greg Brady style, I found out I got cast because I fit the jacket. Uh, I found out that Sorbo and I wear the same size le- uh, sleeveless leather leather jerkin. So I did Sorbo's role and did this funny scene out in the woods with Lloyd Kaufman, and that seemed to go over well. While I was there, I met and see how this comes full circle. Uh, I met the girl who was the stunt double for the Red Reaper, and we ended up. Um, well, screw it. I'll just say it. Uh, you know, onset hookup, uh, onset hookup, and which which turned into when I got home some phone work and whatever, and we ended up moving to LA together. We lived together for five years. Wow. And uh, oh wow, so, so it's not a one night stand hookup. It was that stuff. No, it was supposed to be, but it it, it ended up we sort we sort of liked each other, and uh, right. she and. And I also met on that set uh, Devaney Penn, who was the producer for Crossbreed. Right. Yeah. Well, and you know, played 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 the alien. And uh, you know, fast forward a few years, and um, I had a the uh, the girl I was dating, uh, Mel, played uh, Squeaky Fromm in House of Manson, which was a Brandon Slagle Devaney Penn film. Right. And they ended up. Uh, I, I I gotta give a, a shout out to uh, Ryan Kisser, who played Charles Manson in that movie, and I thought did a very good job. I thought that whole movie was great because I, I rented it um, from my, my uh, local video store. We have a video store that's still in existence, and I rented uh, that after being a crossbreed, and I thought it was a great movie. I, I thought you did a great job, and uh, I thought Ryan did a great job, and everyone in it, and uh, you know Brandon directing it and everything. But go ahead. Oh yeah, I was I was I was really impressed. But yeah, like I said, uh, 
No played squeaky, which was fun when you know you come home and your girlfriend's doing research and there's books about serial killers all over the house. <laughs> but uh, I got cast sort of at the last minute to play uh, Terry Melcher in that, and I showed up and uh, never worked with Brandon before. And Brandon and I hit it off, and uh, Ryan and I hit it off immediately, and just. I've been working with Brandon ever since. Uh, we seem to speak the same language. I remember I showed up to film Escape from Ensenada, and um, I had a black suit. I was playing the FBI agent, and I had a black suit, a black tie, and I had a black shirt or a white shirt option. And I held him up, and he was doing something else. And I looked at him and said, Brandon, you want senior prom or Harvey Keitel? And he goes, Harvey Keitel, and just moved on. <laughs> and I was like, hey, this, this, is, this is a guy I can uh, communicate with in monosyllables almost. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Um, I saw. I, I don't think I saw it on your IMDb, but I'm sure you were involved, involved in a couple episodes of Deadliest. If I'm wrong, correct me. But I thought that we had that conversation at one point, and that's a show that I used to watch all the time. I love that show. Um, I, I think you were on it. If you were, how did you get involved with that? Oh my God! Uh, total set hustling. That is. It was the funniest thing when uh, when Mel and I hit L.A. in a borrowed BMW. We had we had we taken a job on this movie and it was supposed to pay us like five thousand dollars or something, which is not a lot of money, but it was you know what I would have made waiting tables. So um, I went out and took this job on the movie. We didn't get paid. Uh, we ended up couch surfing down the coast uh, in a in a borrowed BMW with like a hundred bucks in a change jar, and we hit town and ended up um, living in this art space warehouse in Playa del Rey. And my third day there, I got cast doing the Scottish play. I had to seize on Fife. And um, a few weeks later, I got cast on Deadliest Warrior. And I was like, huh, I'm in a play and a TV show. I don't know why everyone says LA is so hard. This is easy. <laughs> <laughs> I scoff. And then I had to get into the gig for eight months afterwards, of course. But um, Deadliest Warrior was pretty cool. Uh, Anthony Belongis had been on it the previous season, and uh, they had actually called me up um, season two. I was on season three. I think episode two, episode three, something like that. I was on season two. I was still living in Virginia. I mean, strike that. They called me up for season two um, to play a Celt. And I was out jogging, and my phone rang. And so I answer my phone. I see it's coming from Los Angeles. Well, hold on, hold on. Go, go back to the beginning. They called you up. They found you. Or you named the hat somehow. Um, well, there's only six people in Hollywood. Everyone knows each other. Um, <laughs> I don't know how. I think my buddy Michelle Lee, who's a co-host on Sarsons Action, she might have had something to do with it. But um, I was tall and I had long blonde hair. Maybe it was the leather jerk. I don't know. I've been out there filming uh, that. I met a bunch of people. And, and so, like I said, I'm out jogging, and it's the second week of January. And my phone rings, and it's the casting lady for, for, for Deadliest Warrior, and she wants me to come out and play a pit. And I, I said, sounds great. you know. And they were going to fly me out and whatever. And right at the last minute, she goes, oh, oh, by the way, the outfit is a loincloth and boots. Is that okay? And I was like, <laughs> lady it's 12 days after Christmas. Are you kidding me? <laughs> she goes, no. I was like, can I have two weeks? She goes, no, we need you here on Monday. And I said, this is breaking my heart. I got to turn you down. I said, you know, I'm, 
I said, I've, I've been eating mom's Christmas pie for two weeks. I said, if I show up and put on the one, <laughs> right, right, right. everybody's going to look at each right. other awkwardly and you're going to recast me. I don't want to waste your time. <laughs> and so I actually turned down Deadliest Warrior and then they called me up another time. Seems like when we were doing uh, Shakespeare and I couldn't get there. And then fi finally, 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 they called me and um, wanted me to, um, I went down to hustle the set. Uh, Anthony DeLongis was doing something Thing. He was he was providing horses and something else, and um, I just showed up one day and struck up a conversation with the director. Um, I ended up when I finished at Radford, I ended up with his with a history degree as well, a double major in English and history. And they said that William the Conqueror was coming up, and I said, "Oh, you know, I delivered a paper uh, when I, uh, at at symposium when I was in college, uh, comparing William the Conqueror to Battle of Gettysburg." And he kind of did a double take, and he was like, "Really?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, because you know they both were uphill, and there was no wide open, whatever." And you know, and I just went through it, and um, so they called me a couple days later to come down uh, to, you know, for an audition. So I went down to uh, the studio, uh, Forty Four Blue, I think it was Forty Four Blue Studios, to audition for the history guy to be, you know, the history expert. I was going to be the academic. And I walked in, and they handed me a sword, and they just looked at me and made some assumptions and said, here, take this sword and show us what you can do with it. And I'm like, well, thank God I can do something with a sword, too. So, yeah, I ended up on Deadly right. Warrior uh, as the William Conqueror expert. Ended up, has nothing to do with me, I think, highest rated episode of the entire series. Uh, but it was because <laughs> it was William the Conqueror versus Joan of Arc. And it was their first and yes. ended up being only female warrior. And of course, I lost. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, how are you going to do a catapult against a cannon? <laughs> but uh, right. I will say to this day, a deadliest warrior. I tell people, um, I've had other. I mean, it was fun. I've had other gigs that I liked better. I've had other gigs that were more challenging and fun. To this day, deadliest warrior has the best craft services I've ever been to. And to be, you know, a starving ass living in a warehouse actor doing Shakespeare, uh, day two, I started showing up with uh, Ziploc baggies. <laughs> and I'm like, really? We're having curry chicken? Shovel, 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 shovel. <laughs> Walking out of there, well, I mean, looking like a team I mean, shot. I mean, let's, home. <laughs> yeah, let's be honest. Though. I mean, Delhi's Warrior was high production, and it was a uh, cables. Series, I would hope they would have at least decent craft service. I mean, I mean we, you know, we're indie actors, so you're, yeah. you're, you're gonna get. I, I was on set of a uh, concussion with Will, and I don't know if you've seen that movie, but I have not. I, I was just an extra, and it's something that happened where, because obviously the extras eat at a separate craft services than the you know the actual main actors and the SAG people and all that, this and that. but something had happened where. We all had to eat together. So I found myself sitting at a table, eating with a girl, Luke Wilson sitting at the table next to me, checking out the girl I was sitting right near. <laughs> and we're all eating dinner together. And the food was awesome. But I was not supposed to be in that specific craft services area. It just happened to be that way. The, the, the moral of the story is that Luke Wilson likes attractive women. And concussion had very good food for the craft services. <laughs>
Well, you know what? The only place I've seen it, um, they fed us great on crossbreed. In fact, to this day, um, when they were um, trying to think of who, who it was, they were telling me they were fixing the food because uh, Michael McIntyre and I were both having to stay on a pretty strict training diet. You know, I was running around with no sleeves, and hell, when Mac was playing the the big alien, he was you know, naked with just stuff glued on him and paint. He was doing the full um, J-Law as Mystique. So we were really well watching what we ate up there. So uh, we just we just pretty much existed on um, grilled chicken and brown rice. And uh, right. Brandon told me when they were getting ready for the next production, uh, she still calls us the uh, chicken guys. But the only that's uh, been, been comparable, uh, fast forward a few years, uh, when I, I moved in, I lived in this apartment in Hollywood for like uh, four or five years, like literally one street off Hollywood. Boulevard. I was Low Melinda Avenue down on the unfashionable end of Hollywood. And there was a building that looked like a castle. It really looked like a Disney castle. It was on the corner of my street. And uh, if you ever go back and watch um, True Blood, they were filming what turned out to be the final season of True Blood there. And this this was one of the locations. This, this was like Queen Bamford's castle of Lumber. And I loved it because they were down there like every couple of weeks. They'd be down there, you know, three or four days filming. And again, I was going through a dry spell being a broke-ass actor. I figured out pretty quick, whenever they were filming, I could get a clipboard and walk over there and look like I knew where, like, like I was supposed to be there. And I could just load up on food <laughs> and then be. So uh, True, True Blood fed uh, me and Mel there a few weeks out of uh, their last season. I was very sorry to see that show canceled. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you serious? That's something you actually did. Absolutely. I'm not shy. <laughs> I improvise. That's I doubt. awesome. Yeah, I'd go down there with a uh, footboard and a bud in my ear walking around. I'd, um, I think I was waiting tables at the time and I had a restaurant close on me. Like, we showed up on uh, we showed up on a Monday and they said the entire chain was closing on Wednesday. Oh, wow. And, uh, I was out of work for a couple of months, and all of a sudden I'm looking like, oh, look, True Blood's filming tonight. Honey, get some Ziploc baggies, and I'll get the clipboard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So out, out of the three that you've – writing, acting, stunt, which one is your favorite to do? Hmm. I'm not successful enough to be a specialist yet. Um, I'll tell you, each one has its own satisfying – its own areas of satisfaction. Right. Uh, stunts are stunts are physically challenging, and I enjoy exceeding my expectations. Um, I enjoy kind of getting to play Superman. I enjoy getting to do the superhero thing. Uh, for one thing, I probably shouldn't. I'm terrified of heights, <laughs> and uh, I have been since I was a kid. Heights freak, freak freak me out. So of course, the first thing I want to do is learn, learn how to do high falls. And I'm certainly not, you know, the, the lowest you can do a high fall and say that you do high falls is, it, it's, like, it's like 30 or 35 feet. Uh, the highest I've ever done is 40. Um, sc- the first time I go off scares me to death every time. After that, it's fun. But it's just about confronting that fear and overcoming it. Uh, 40 feet is about the same as like maybe, maybe going off the second floor of a parking garage. Um, Practically, that translates to if I'm doing a role and say I'm a cowboy and I'm on a balcony and I get shot, I can fall off the balcony. 
If yeah. you want anyone to go any higher, screw that. Call a pro. I know people. Right, right. Uh, the acting is well. That's fun. <laughs> I mean, that's just uh, it's challenging as well. But it's you know, oh dear, I have to be the center of attention, and I get to say cool things. <laughs> Ooh, you know, that's fun too. Um, as David Lee Roth said once, uh, he said, "I don't act this way because I'm in a band. I'm in a band because I act this way." Right. I was watching. Uh, I bought my mother for uh, Christmas this book that uh, Dave Grohl uh, from Foo, Foo Fighters. His uh, his his mother wrote a book about uh, raising rock stars, and she interviewed other rock star moms. And uh, I found out about it. She was on Stephen Col uh, Stephen Colbert's show talking about you know she was pitching it, and she said, "You just figure out early on some kids are just born goofy, and they're going to be entertaining." <laughs> And you just try to channel it. And my mother was sitting there. You know, I was home for the holidays. And mom, I looked over. My mom was sitting there nodding. Going, yep, some of them are just born goofy, you know? Right. So there's that. But, yeah. um, and then writing is just what I'm good at. Uh, um, it's it's a gift. You know, I'll say I'm a better than average martial artist. I'm a decent actor. I mean, I, will, well, I am just a dynamite writer. Uh, but it's not anything I've done. I was just kind of born with it. And uh, it is it is it is a skill. I take joy out of doing a good job. But um, I don't know. It's like being born with pretty blue eyes. It wasn't anything I did myself. It just I came out that way. So uh, it, is it is it that you just like to write? I was gonna say, is it just that you like to write like articles, or do you want to take that to the next level and start writing like screenplays? Now that you've been doing the acting thing for a while well like everyone in hollywood i have a few screenplays i've actually written a few and um a few have come close to being produced in fact we've had meetings and thus and so you know most of hollywood is 95 percent lunch meetings right about five percent actual filmmaking um i've written some really good stuff uh in fact i was supposed to have a phone phone conference today about uh, a comic book that i adapted uh that i really uh, i should have mentioned i can't talk about it but the phone, the phone conference got pushed, but uh, so that's always in the works. Right. And um, I've written a few things, writing a few more. The nice thing about being a writer, <laughs> if you're writing something that you work on, um, is that even if you're not the lead, you can give yourself all the best lines. Yeah. Um, I always, I, I even have invented a verb for it. Uh, doc, uh, I say I'm gonna Doc Holiday the shit out of that. If you go back and watch Tombstone, <laughs> right. Doc Holiday was not the lead in that film, but he did everything that came out of his mouth was gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where you know that's kind of your secret weapon you can use. But yeah, I'd like to write screenplays. Um, I had a we were we were pitching something. It was uh, a film that I wrote called uh, Blood Oath, and it was um, low budget action thing. And I remember I was sitting in a Barnes and Noble uh, having a cup of coffee and. And my James, my producer partner, the one I mentioned earlier, my kung fu buddy and team right. buddy, uh, he calls me up and says, "Hey, I'm taking this in. Uh, I need you to do. I've written like a four-page treatment, and he said I need you to do a one one page." Fine. I sit down. I put down the magazine I'm reading. I flip open my laptop. I dash off a one page. I send it back to him. He reads it. He calls me back. He says it's too long. He said it needs just make it like one paragraph less. God damn it! Blah, 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 blah. I said, I flip, I flip it open, I dash it, and I, I rewrite it, I condense, I send it back. He calls me again. He's like, it's too long. 
you said, make it half a page and don't use so many words. And I had a temper tantrum in Barnes & Noble. I was stomping around pissed. I, I remember out loud, they must have thought I was crazy. But I was, I was stomping around. I said, I'm writing for goddamn illiterates. And then, and, and then I stopped. You know, after I calmed down and I thought about it, I used to be an assistant manager at um, Books A Million. Uh-huh. Which was so, it was a big box bookstore like Barnes and Noble. They're out of business now, but it was all across the old Confederacy. It was like Dixie Barnes and Noble. Right. And um, I was an assistant manager there for a couple years after college, and we would have authors come in and do author signings, and it would be the saddest things. They would just sit there at the table by themselves, and people would come up and talk to them, and they'd have a box of books they'd be trying to sell, and, and I. I would put over coffee and free cookies just so people would walk over and talk to them. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, versus I get to jump off buildings and run around with, uh, you know, Playboy models. Okay, I'll go back and write another draft. <laughs> I mean, I can always go back to novels, but uh, the fringe benefits of this seem to be well worth any frustration. <laughs> <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. I have to tell you the funniest thing. Um, let me like back up 10 minutes. But just because I love this, you were uh, you were talking about getting into films. The first film that my name ever appeared in the credits, I don't know if in, a, if, if in all the cuts I ended up making it to the screen. I was barely in it. But um, I did some magazine work and promo work for a film called Andre the Butcher, which starred uh, – it was – a. I don't even say a B slasher film, a C slasher film starring Ron Jeremy. And Ron, Ron came down and worked on it for, I, I forget if he was there for two or, two or three days. Uh, we filmed in Florida, and his character was Andre the Butcher, and he, 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 uh, he wore a welding mask most of the time. And so they had somebody that was about his size and build doubled him most of the time, did most of the fights, then Ron came in and did all of the mask-off scenes and the final fight. By the way, Ron did Kung Fu in the 70s. Surprisingly, surprisingly good kicker to this day. Ron is an amazingly flexible kicker. You wouldn't expect it from, you know, a short, stocky guy. Right. But uh, Ron... I've seen, I seen, picture, seen pictures of him. I've seen pictures of him back in the day. He actually used to be a short, skinny guy. Yeah. At one point. Uh, he did... The, um, the in the the in fight scene to Andre the Butcher is actually pretty good. Uh, the girl April, who was the um, who was the final girl in that spoilers, um, did. Uh, she was a gymnast and had some martial arts training, and so she had a little bit. And Ron pulled his stuff out. It's actually a very good fight. And if if you go back, there was when, no, you, oh. when you say well, when you say Ron pulled his stuff out, let's go. Ah, that was too easy. I thought, <laughs> all right, I get it. If I throw the high slow okay. over the plate, swing. Right? I <laughs> but uh, and he did a film. Uh, I forget the name of it, but you can find it on YouTube. Um, he did a film back in the early '80s with uh, Jerry Butler, who was another porn guy. It was a porn film, and they had a, a karate fight scene in there that was pretty good. And, and uh, also in um, Orgasmo, the the, uh, Trey, the Trey Parker and Matt Stone film, uh, he did a fight in that. Ron's not a bad kung fu guy, actually. Um, but all this to say, the film was originally called Dead Meat. And when it went to be released, as often happens, 
Um, well, there was another movie being released called Dead Meat. So it was ultimately changed to Andre the Butcher. Except for six months, right at the beginning of my acting career, the working title was Fresh Meat. <laughs> and I'm going out trying to get gigs. And the only thing I have, the only thing I have on my resume, is an unaired pilot for Star Stunts Action, one appearance on the Tonight Show, and Fresh Meat starring Ron Jeremy. <laughs> Oh, it's when, when we were in, um, when we went to NAPTI, which is the big, oh, I can't remember. I, they asked me on the air and I didn't know the, uh, what it meant. Uh, it's where they sell the TV pilots. It's usually in Vegas. I think it was in Tampa. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Um, when uh, we were down there selling Star Stunts Action and a couple of other shows that we were involved with, um, I was down there basically being a booth girl. They have, uh, you know, six girls standing in front of the booths and whatever. I just showed up, put on my leather pants, and uh, was there to look interesting. I had the Fabio here at the time and all that. <laughs> and um, Ross from The Tonight Show was down there filming. Uh, this was the Jay Leno era. This was right at the end of Leno, and Ross was like this super shrieky, you know, very, very effeminate uh ross the intern ah, he, would, he would he would come running up and he came here, here comes ross the intern uh, running up to interview me and he interviewed me and i guess we were you know funny enough it ended up being the lead segment on that episode of the tonight show and so i kind of accidentally ended up on the tonight show <laughs> um here's the thing back up two minutes um the i did a magazine spread uh with zoe bell those of you who don't know Zoe, uh, she was Uma's double in Kill Bill, and she's a stunt lady and actress, uh, very accomplished at both, works with Tarantino a bit. Uh, in Grindhouse, Death Proof, she was the one in the pink shirt that was on the hood of the car all the time. Okay. Uh, I, met Zoe, I met Zoe sort of in between Kill Bill and uh, Death Proof. And then ended up doing a little bit of magazine work for her. Well, she and I were in Inside Kung Fu together. And they gave me a certain amount of budget for, you know, outfits. And so I, that's one of the things I miss about Inside Kung Fu since it's folded a few years ago. They would pretty much let me do whatever I wanted to um, as long as it was a good article. And uh, I could be a little weird sometimes. So Zoe and I did an article. And they gave me a budget for wardrobe. I'm repeating myself. And I got her, um, of course, the, the Kill Bill jumpsuit, right? Yellow with the black stripe down the outside. So I'm thinking what would be perfect for me is if I could find like a leather vest and pants, black with a yellow stripe. I said, I'll never find that in a million years, but I'll get online and maybe I can find something close and I can modify it. I found exactly that. Well, to get men's leather stuff, sometimes you have to go to like gay fetish sites, right? So I go to the, I go to this place called Leather Etc., and I find a black leather vest and black leather pants with a yellow stripe down the outside. And I'm like, this is perfect. This will be great. You know, the, the visuals balance out. And I notice they sell them with all different color stripes. Well, I didn't know what this means, so I'm doing further research. I'm a curious sort, and I found out if you, if you're, if you're into the gay leather bar scene, what your stripe <laughs> is is what you're into. And oh, wow. yeah, and the yellow stripe means you're into water sports. You like being peed on. 
Um, red, red stripe, hand to God or hand wherever. It, red stripe means you're in anal fisting. And they've got, a, they've got a white stripe and a blue stripe. And they had a conversion chart on the website that explained all this. And I'm sitting there fascinated because I love the fact that, you know, if you take, if you, if, if you take women out of the relationship, basically you got just a bunch of guys looking to hook up, right? But even when you're in a bar and you're looking to hook up, it's got to be really hard to work peeing or anal fisting into a first date conversation. <laughs> so they just got signal. You look around the room and you find, oh, that guy's wearing my stripe. And you go and you strike up a conversation. I'm like, how efficient. Um, good for you. It's it's called flagging yellow. They do it with uh, handkerchiefs too. And um, so, so what do you, so what do you all have this, to say about my what do you have to say about my partner owning red striped pants? <laughs> uh, do whatever makes you happy, man. But so now here's the thing. I, I told you that to tell you this. Uh, last day at uh, NAPTI, I took a little bit of wardrobe with me. And, you know, I try not to carry too much because I had leather stuff and it was heavy and whatever. I just threw on those leather striped pants, the, uh, the yellow striped pants, and uh, a Chinese vest over a tank top, like a black vest, black tank top, black pants, yellow stripe. Didn't think anything about it. Here comes Ross, ah, who is like flamboyantly super, super gay, coming up to do a comedy bit. And I have this moment going, oh my God, he's going to call me on the pants. <laughs> anybody's going to, and I'm on national television. If anybody's going to know that these are water sports <laughs> pants, it's going to be Ross. And so I was like, sure, I'll be on the Tonight Show. And just before we go on, we're sort of standing there. They're like micing us and everything. And so I'm kind of testing the waters. I'm like, he's like, so what do you do on the show? I said, well, I do this and that. And I'm a co-host. But mostly I just show up and wear these pants. And he just gives it a sideways. <laughs> he shows that he, he, he gives it a sideways look and sneers. And he goes, well, I suppose someone has to. Hi, this is Ross. And we start rolling. And I'm like, whoo, he's not going to mention pants. <laughs> Jason narrowly escapes. Of course, now that I've mentioned him, uh, I guess the secret's out. But um, I still have these stories somewhere. I'll have to bust them out one of these days. Yeah, give him the give him the other Jason. I was going to say, maybe you stole all the pants, but obviously you do. Yeah, I do, and they're in good condition because that's not the sort of thing that you wear real often. <laughs> you buy your well, maybe if you live in near near the St. Christopher Street Pier, you would or something like that. But, uh, you know. I don't wear them very often. The real question is: the real question is, are you going to wear those pants to the crossbreed premiere? Oh no 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 no! I actually um, actually I'm kind of sad. I'm still back and forth. Um, I'm thinking about. I had a, I I bought a tuxedo. Um, I saw that. Oh, no no that was actually, I had bought one before, intending to wear it. I have a space tuxedo. Um, I bought it um, at a oh. second store. Hollywood has the best thrift stores in the world, man. I mentioned the badass spider shirt or a uh, big ass spider. Yeah, shirt. they have the best thrift stores in the world because rich people yeah. in studios just throw crap away. And um, I got a silver metallic tuxedo from the '80s. It was from the Philip Michael Thomas collection. Oh my god! From wow. after six, they were doing their Miami Vice stuff. Silver metallic tuxedo, oh, and I'm like, that's my space tuxedo, and I've had that thing in storage forever, and I'm traveling right now. I'm not going to get back to L.A. until like uh, two days before the premiere, and I don't have time to have it hemmed and altered, so I'm going to have to save the space. Where, are you, where are you now? Are you, 
Are you in California now, or are you somewhere else? Uh, right now, I'm in Virginia. I was uh, visiting the family for the holidays, and then I've been okay. sort of traveling around doing a few things, and then uh, Chinese New Year's coming up. I'm actually doing uh, some live performances at my alma mater at Radford. And at Virginia Tech, I'm doing live Chinese performance New Year. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't Chinese New Year's, I want to say February 5th, isn't it? It is. It is. Which uh, is the premier crossbreed. It is. Trust me, I had a few close moments over that because I've already booked the gigs gigs here. Well, it's booked the gigs. They asked me to come back and do Kung Fu. Apparently, I'm, a, I'm doing air quotes here, distinguished alumnus. Um, I come in and I do uh, Kung Fu shows for them uh, at the uh, Chinese New Year. Radford, Radford has a big Chinese studies program, and they always, long story short, um, the shows are always on the weekends. So what it's looking like, what's going to happen is uh, I'm here training for that. I'm going to fly for the crossbreed premiere. Then I'm going to come back here and do Chinese New Year shows over two weekends. Then I'm going to fly back out west and do another movie, and it's going to be like living in airports the entire month of February. So, but, but, you know, I could be sitting in an office cubicle. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Exactly. So, it, is this, the, so this is, I'm assuming, your, your full-time gig. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's... I mean, I have, well, that having been, um, I've been an ex-waiter twice already. Right. So, you, you never know. That's always a good skill to have. I told Sifu the last time I saw him of all the, uh, great skills that I learned from him, the the ability to carry a tray full of food without spilling it has served me the most in my acting career. So <laughs> it's nice to have that to fall yeah. back on. But fingers crossed, yeah, this is the full time gig. <laughs> yeah. See Jason, he, he's doing it full time. Huh? I said BB needs to I said BB needs to do it full time, but he's uh do, do you yeah, think well, do you think it's in Buffalo and in Buffalo he doesn't travel as much. And you know, we all got her all life, I guess. Well, for what man, it's not—it's not easy. I just—I just came off a hell of a dry spell, hell of a dry spell, and it was very frustrating because I knew. I mean, it happens in Hollywood. Um, I had, I think, in the last nine months, I did a game show, which might have been a proof of concept. I don't even know if it went to air, but I did a game show. And I did um, Barber Lounge, which is a series that's coming out, but it's kind of a reality show. You go and get a haircut. And um, it was me and James Liu who had just won the Emmy for um, Luke Cage and a few other people. If you uh, It's big in Britain, and it's coming to the United States now. If, you, it's, if you've seen, oh, what's her name? Tattoo Chick. Cats. Uh, Cat Vince. Oh, okay. Cat, Cat, Cat Von D. Right. Uh, her show around the uh, tattoo parlor. It's like that, but around a uh, uh, a hair salon. And my father was a hairdresser from the time I was two. So I grew up in beauty salons. So I'm like, hell, I've been, you just want me to get a haircut and hang out and run my mouth? I've been training for this my whole life. <laughs> but so, yeah, but, but, but that was it. And it was very frustrating because I knew I had this <sighs> – whole bunch of shit coming up the first of 2019 but it was just kind of like twiddling my thumbs you know all you can do is take your downtime and train and you know living in hollywood there's always something to do <laughs> right so when you hit those dry spells then how, how do you make ends meet 
uh, you try to stick a lot of money in a drawer whenever you can. Right. Um, yeah. I actually, the, you know, a couple times I've fallen back on waiting tables, but by and large, you, um, as long as you live frugally, right. Um, I don't know how to say I, things that I don't, don't, I don't spend a lot of money on stuff. I've never really cared about having a lot of stuff. Um, my big vices are, um, like DVD box sets and books. I tend to accumulate books just cause I read fast and believe it or not, leather jackets, <laughs> but I'll buy them used. Right. You know? And I, I just have a, a thing with leather jackets. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom wouldn't, wouldn't let me have one when I was a kid cause I was growing too fast. I wanted to look like Fonzie and I think I'm overcompensating now. Hey. <laughs> but hey. hey. But I've never really cared about having a lot of stuff. So as long as you just live frugally, you know, or within your means, right. um, you kind of sock away money and don't have to worry about it. And if it does get super dry or tight, you know, I always go, go 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 back to waiting tables. Yeah, that's just part of being a working actor thing. Luckily, I haven't had to do that in a while. So, is it your experience that it's better if you want to be an actor to head out to Hollywood, or do you think it's just try to work locally and and see if you can make it that way. Well, it depends on what you want to do. Um, I was born and raised in Roanoke, Virginia, um, which is near Virginia Tech. That's all it's famous for. Right. Um, but they have filmed exactly three movies here in my life. Uh, they filmed Dirty Dancing. Mm-hmm. They filmed, they filmed what, what about Bob, mm-hmm. and, and they filmed a movie called uh, Crazy People that was with Dudley Moore and Daryl Hannah. Yep, uh-huh. that's oh, been it. Yeah, that's been it since the mid '80s. So if you want to be a movie actor, it ain't going to happen around here. Although I am the, uh, you know, when I was waiting tables coming up here, I think I was the only local actor that didn't have Dirty Dancing featured extra on his resume. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, that's, I mean, I don't know, man. I hear other people, I hear good things about, uh, Georgia. Apparently there's a lot of work going on in Georgia and and there is, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of work, but the, the, the walking dead's there. I had an agent there actually in Atlanta and that lasted about a month because, I didn't do all the things they wanted me to do. Just like uh, a bunch of like, stuff spending my own money, this and that. But anyways, long story short, yeah, Atlanta's got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, but, but um, if people, if you want to just, you got to pick a place that's uh, filming. If you're going to do Atlanta, if you want to be in Vancouver, if you want to do New York, obviously things are filming in New York. Uh, that, that's yeah. fine. For me, um, the choice was... My friend Mac, the one who plays the alien, um, he lived in New York for a while, and uh, he's from Boston. He lived in New York for a while as an actor, and he actually gave me my very first job in Los Angeles. He was the one who hired me to do Shakespeare, mm. and he and he lives in uh, nice. L.A. now. And he says two things: number one, well, three things. Number uh, number one, L.A. is better, and the women are uh, better looking. Uh, L.A. is nah, stop reboot. The weather's better and the women are better looking. And L.A. is the only place where, you know, you're talking about making it as a struggling actor. You can be broke and live like a rock star if you're plugged in. Right. If you're plugged into the right people, 
even when it's a slow season, I'm not kidding, man. Red, red carpets all the time. Um, art gallery openings. I'm uh, just, you know, you, oh, this there's an artist that I like. Uh, his uh, professional name is Shag, all, all capital letters. Right, S-H-A-G. yep. S-H-A-G. yep, yep. Um, look him up online. He's very good. Um, he, has an art, he has a store and gallery on Melrose uh, Boulevard. They have events every every few weeks. You you, you you get on the mailing list if you're some sort of VIP or something. You come down there, get dressed up. My God, it's free liquor, it's free food, it's whatever. You can live like a rock star in L.A. Right. As long as you are frugal and work occasionally. Whereas I'm told, like in New York, you have to be making six figures just to struggle by. Yeah. It's cold. I don't like the cold. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny you brought. It's funny you brought up Mac because. Mac was also there in the um, first meeting, the fight choreography for the Crossbreed people. But when I was on set, when I was filming on on the ship in Buffalo, on the Navy ship, Brandon Slagle had, we were standing out over that side there, and Brandon was talking to Robert, one of the writers of the, the script, and he, you know, me and Brandon were standing side by side, and he says, I told you. He's pointing at me, looking at uh, Rob. I told you. Doesn't he look like him? And Robert's like, yeah, he kind of does. And I'm thinking to myself, what the fuck are they talking about? But then I realized they were talking about your buddy Mac. Apparently they, they thought me and Mac looked alike. And I'm like, all right, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> they just, you know, we, yeah, they thought but, we looked alike. All right, cool. And I, I can kind of see the similarity a little bit. Yeah, you know, you're both big, big, good-looking, rugged guys beards i can see that of course uh you didn't get to go in for the all right i'm gonna tell a tale on mac here <laughs> he's uh, when uh he got, he got geared up in the alien makeup right we uh behind the scenes on crossbreed um all right i'm gonna say beforehand mac getting cast as the alien and mac ended up really stepping up really really stepping up because um we lost one of our ad's early on and mac stepped up and pulled double duty both helping me with stunts and everything since I was acting and doing stunts and playing the alien and filling in for, you know, in that AD capacity. He, he really, he really stepped up and did an amazing job. I will, can't say nice enough things about him. That having been said, I'm say something embarrassing about him now. Um, to get geared up in all that makeup, you know, Mac, for those of you, uh, Michael McIntyre, you can IMD, DBM. He's, uh, he's been in a few, few, He's been a few things. He looks like a Viking. And he's a big, about six and a half feet tall, beard, you know, pseudo hairy guy. And to get the full Jennifer Lawrence, to have all the, the stuff stick to him, the paint, whatever, he had to go get a full body wax. So <laughs> I went with him for this, me and the, uh, uh, Makeup lady, uh, Cindy, who, who you know, you did all the creature design and everything. Oh, I, I gotta say, I love Cindy. She's, oh. she's a great woman, but it was good. Um, I'll come back to that in a minute, probably. But she, um, so we went to this thing. I think Cindy just wanted to to get her nails done, and uh, um, I'd been in Buffalo for a few few days, and I was starting to lose my tan, and I was concerned that I'd be, you know, in different scenes, I'd be different colors in different scenes. I'm naturally. Uh, ethnically, I'm Irish. I'm very pale. So I was looking for a tanning bed. 
and uh, so we called this day spa where Mac was going to get his full full body wax, and they seemed very confused. And I was like, um, "You don't have any tanning bed? No, no. This is a spa. We don't have a tanning bed." Well, and they just seemed like it was the stupidest question ever. So I show up with Mac and Cindy, and we walk in, and it's all black ladies getting their nails done. And the first words out of my mouth, I said. Oh, now I see why you don't have a tanning bed. And Cindy looked at me like I just farted in church. <laughs> and I was like, what? No, obviously, this this explains it. She's like, you can't say that. <laughs> but so, so at that point, I was just kind of along for the ride. Cindy's getting her nails done, and I was hanging out. And uh, they had to take Mac in the back, all six and a half feet of him, and give him a full body wax. And uh, I'm sitting outside just listening to him. Ah, okay. <laughs> and he came out just smooth as a cucumber and they greased him up and glued things on him and he was by the time that they got that alien head on him I bet he was seven feet tall yeah I will say that that yeah, so the, uh, when, when you see this movie and you see the scary alien know that he recently had his ass waxed <laughs> that's <full> on <laughs> I will say that reminds me of, reminds me of uh, Steve Carell Steve Carell at 40 year old when he got when he got hired when he went Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Natural. That, that was, that was, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like, spread, spread. Oh, yeah, rip. <laughs> and uh, I think Matt told me, if, if you wanted to talk to him, I only half remember this, but he said there was some um, discussion about how much of the, um, the boy parts had to be waxed. Like, now, is it going to cover this, or is it going to cover that, or is it going to? And I'm like, wow, that's that's got to be a weird conversation to have. And then uh, before we went in, he borrowed my clippers and um, got in there, and he's like, you know, doing doing his pits or whatever with my uh, clippers. You know, we were uh, roomies in the cast house, and he comes in and he's like, I didn't think of this until afterwards. He goes, Never tell me why you have clippers. <laughs> and I was like, Okay, no problem. <laughs> Don't want to know where those have been. <laughs> I will say that uh, that al- you say he played the alien, right? So that actually, yeah. uh, the design for that alien was pretty good. Oh yeah, the one at the end of the trailer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but, scared the piss out of me. Yeah, that was actually a pretty <laughs> I, good trailer. I had to room with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, don't forget, AC saw the whole movie. He saw the uh, the final product. He saw from beginning to end. Yeah, and I was gonna say like, um, usually I'm kind of like, you know, I get a lot of these screeners, and and I'm kind of like iffy when watching them, you know, because a lot of them are pretty bad. But um, this one was actually, you know, this one was actually was good. So when you do see the final product, I even told um, BB that, um, you know, it looks like it was expensive movie because they did a really good job with all the the cg stuff well what um, it's funny with uh, sorry little feedback here let me start over um it's funny when i was talking to uh brendan slagle you know the press just went crazy about this this week uh the been blowing up ain't it cool news you know gave it a good review and everything and um one thing that brandon the director has been really happy about is most of the people get it. The intention for this movie was to be kind of a throwback uh, 80s sci-fi film 
um, something something like you might see from canon films or you right. might see from you know uh, the the uh, uh, comparisons that we've drawn are like uh, I come in peace or species with Natasha uh, Hendridge or something right. like that and and that's exactly what we were going for and so it, it I was sort of a little nervous that maybe people wouldn't get that. <laughs> And right. I'm like, oh yeah, no, they're they're totally getting it. This is uh, this is uh, definitely it's its own thing, but it's also an homage to uh, you know 80s and 90s sci-fi films. So yeah, here we are. Well, you know when when you see like certain like when you see certain like actor names, you kind of get like what am I getting myself into sort of thing. So like if you see like a Daniel Baldwin or Joe Estevez or anything like that, you it it, it kind of like throws a red flag sort of like oh is this going to be like a like a really bad movie but i will say that baldwin did did good in that film i was like oh man it's going to be a daniel baldwin like you know what is it going to be in there for like i mean i you know what i I tell you what everyone's a critic and that's (laughs) especially especially indie acting is a hard thing and even in politics like everyone's a critic. Everyone wants to talk. Everyone wants to say, "Oh, I'm a saint and I know everything," and uh, I want to shit on this, including like the movie Crossbreed. You know, every everyone wants to talk shit. That's what the way it is. And most of those people talking shit. It's like, first of all, what movie have you been in? Second of all, what experience do you have in any of them? And it's like, you know, everyone's a critic. And, and, and I think human nature, maybe maybe thousands of years ago, but especially now, human nature is to shit on things. And it shouldn't be. Human nature should be to support people. And to say, you know, I, I want to this aside or that aside and say, you know what, good job. But anyways, maybe I'm getting out of hand here. But long story short, I think a lot of people, they just want to complain about things. In general, well, and a lot that? of indie movies are, are a lot of indie movies are uh, a target of that kind of thinking. Well, let me say this about that. Uh, so far, the press for Crossbreed has been overwhelmingly good. There have been a couple of people who who, who didn't get it, but uh, over, I'd, I'd say ninety five percent of it has been very good. And uh, Andy Cool News uh, gave us a really good uh, review, so I was thrilled about that. Um, but what's what's we were having this conversation with somebody not too long ago. The um, people that are, how do I say this? People that want to think of themselves as creative or as geniuses at things or as good but are afraid of failure will tend to hang back and criticize others because it's from a position of safety. I never have to try anything, but if I did it, be awesome or right. one day i'm going to do it or you know when i do my thing it's going to be good but i'm going to criticize right. you to show that i'm better than you um it's very much it's a i'm i relate it to fear of failure like i don't want to try something but i'm just going to shit on you um it's partially jealousy and partially just like i said it's a defense mechanism that having been said um we mentioned deadliest warrior earlier what one of the worst reviews i, I ever got was from the Deadliest Podcast. Um, they had a podcast about Deadliest Warrior. And, and I, apparently, when we were, this was a six-day shoot. I was on set six days. 
Uh, five of them were outside in Simi Valley. We were actually where the, um, the little house in the prairie set used to be. Uh, so I actually saw the hill where, you know, what's her name? Uh, Laura. Ringle. Yeah. Yeah. We were shooting cannons at that. But um, Joan of Arc was shooting cannons. I was firing a catapult. But apparently those guys were on set one day. They actually brought them on, on as guests because Deadliest Warrior took their fans very seriously. They had the Deadliest Podcast guys on set. Well, I was busy doing something, and I must have either blown them off or I didn't realize they were there. Somehow I just didn't acknowledge them, and I pissed them off. So, And they overheard me talking to Dave Baker, who was the weapons master on that thing. This is probably more than you need, need to know. But it was a, a torsion catapult we were firing. On the call sheet, it said trebuchet, which is different. I went up and asked Dave, what are we calling this? And he said torsion catapult, and I went with it. They overheard that and took that to mean that I didn't know what kind of catapult it was. So all this to say, they did about half of their online podcast just savaging me, absolutely savaging me. And um, to this to this day, this is one of my favorite bad reviews. They ended up reviewing my Facebook page, and I was <laughs> dating a girl named Mel, short for Melanie, uh, the one who ended up playing Squeaky Frog. And on my Facebook page, it right. said, in a relationship with Mel Turner. Apparently, they clicked on that, and they saw, okay. The review, they said something along, along the lines of um, – we checked and we found out that in a relationship with Mel actually means he's dating a girl. And boy, were we surprised because to look at this guy, you'd think he wouldn't know pussy if he was face down in it. Oh, damn. That was one of my favorite reviews. Now, after I got over the initial shock, um, I mean, I've had bad reviews before and since. Um, I actually emailed them and I said, you know, that's funny. It stings, but it's funny. And I said, I tell you what, I sent him an email and I referenced, I don't know if you've ever heard the uh, NPR interview that Gene Simmons did that just went totally off the rails. He was talking to What's-Her-Name as one of their main interviewers, and they just did not like each other. And they were just trading barbs the whole time, and neither of them would back off. And it was, a, it was really awkward but really fascinating to listen to, these people not liking each other and still doing the interview. And so I pitched them. I said, hey, you know, they had Virginia, who uh, Virginia Hankins, who played Joan of Arc as a guest. And I said, hey, how about I'm a guest on your podcast and we'll just talk. We can talk shit about each other. We can be happy. We can not like each other. We can be funny. Whatever. I'm down for anything. I guarantee you good ratings. And they didn't even have the balls to reply and say no. They just ghosted on me. Oh, so wow. I was like, all right, you guys are. Giant gaping pussies. All right, never mind. <laughs> Here I've said it on another podcast. Deadliest podcast. Well, that was thing went off the air five years ago. So what does it matter? But deadliest podcast guys are pussies. <laughs> well, I I will always I will always say that no matter you know me and Jason always um, talk about different indie films, and the one thing I say is no matter like good or bad at least it's done at least they they accomplished what they were wanted to do so even if it even even if it's not like the greatest let's not get a twist let's not let's not get a twist usually i'm the guy saying at least they accomplished the film you're the one saying that uh 
you know, this song sucks or it doesn't suck or it's horrible or whatever. And I'm usually the one saying movie making is not easy. At least I accomplished that. Oh, I'll, I'll say for film, yeah, I'll say if a film sucks or not. I mean, it's my opinion if a film sucks or not. Uh, but I always do say at least they they made it. I mean, no matter what I, no matter what I think about it, it's somebody's favorite film. So, you know, I can I can say that this person's bad, this person's good. It doesn't really matter. I mean, it, it's just a one one person's opinion, but. You know, Jason, Jason, I don't want to call you Jason because your name is Jason. Listen, I got a three pen. I I had thought about this earlier and we've been talking. So I'll be honest with you. I forget what the original three part was, but I got at least two out of the three. So let me, I know it's a three part thing. I'm just going to feed them to you. And if you forget them, cool, as you're answering, you need me to say what's the second or third question. Here's my three questions that I have um, in any order. Okay. I'm an open book. Number one. Number one. Okay. Number one. If you are a martial artist and you've been a martial artist for, for a lot of years now, I want to know how much meditation plays into your life. How much you, you, you have have gone through the meditative state of martial arts and even beyond martial arts just meditate do you, do you meditate the second one is pretty simple have you ever met chuck norris and the third one is um, <laughs> the third one is because i mean let's be honest chuck norris and superfoot wallace and uh, joe lewis they all interacted together and the third one is, um, you said when you met us on Crossbreed to do the um, the uh, fight choreography, you, you said you came in to do Buffalo thinking, I hope these people don't, you know, at least kind of know what they're talking about. And you said you, you were surprised that, you know, they kind of, uh, we all had at least a little bit of something that would um, suffice to, you know, make film and fight scenes um so my, my question as to that is that um for all of us like um you know what was do what was your impression of us that you had to make fights after meeting us okay well uh back up the first one that is uh, quite the bouillabaisse there yeah. um meditation I, I learned meditation in my first system um and I have come back to it at different points in my life. Um, I do not meditate regularly. That having been said, uh, the skills that I learned from it, I use all the time. Um, the main thing with me is I, I have a very active brain, in case you haven't figured out. The brain is going about twice as fast as the mouth, if you can believe But my brain is all over the place, like uh, like a lot of creative people. And from my martial arts training and from the meditation, it taught me how to focus. And there are times like right now. All right, here's what happened today. Um, I had, luckily I got to sleep late, but I had a conference call scheduled. Uh, like I said, I'm on the East Coast today. I had a conference call scheduled between Los Angeles 
East Coast and Paris about a project that we're developing. Had that at one o'clock. Then I had to lift weights. Then I had to buy a plane ticket. Um, Then I had to, something else I had to do, and then I had to do this. And so this this is all within about, you know, five hours. I'm going in 15 directions. And there was and there was a time Worst in my life. Did you meditate? I did not meditate, but but I did. I stopped whenever I realize I'm starting to like mass everything together. I will stop. I will sit down. I'll close my eyes, and I will take that moment where to just kind of disconnect the brain. Was the transcendental people call it? Right. Just have that moment of calm and separate things and do one thing at a time instead of it all lumping together so that I've I use that more than anything and when I'm I can uh, make myself go to sleep in a heart which is useful. Here, here's my here's my question here's my question for your answer to this point were you able to sit down and close your eyes successfully or did you try closing your eyes and all these thoughts infiltrated your brain uh, successfully and believe it Good. or not the other, the weird side effect I had from that, uh, my early meditation training from, from my first school uh, sort of coincided with learning uh, that style's version of a sanchankata, which, you know, is the slow breathing and the uh, dynamic tension and whatever. And learning to stretch and relax your diaphragm and learning correct breathing in coordination with calming the mind. I'm the only person I know who can just pick up once and stop. And it's from all, all the deep breathing training. I can actually control my diaphragm. So I probably use that more than anything else. I'll eat too fast to start a hiccup. Just go shut my eyes, whoosh, push down, deep breath, and gone. So useful side effect. Uh, as far yeah, that's, as... That's good stuff. Yeah, and you know, you can actually, if you can learn to separate yourself out, if you can learn to compartmentalize like that, or to have that moment of calm, uh, there's lots of things you can use for meditation. You can use your um, jogging is a repetitive you know it's almost like a physical mantra so you can you can you can use that as your zen time or you know weightlifting you have to totally focus on what you what you're doing so that works for me as well you don't you're, you don't have you don't have to totally but the people that are most successful in doing it do a totally focus and i would say that's 10 percent of the people in gym maybe yeah. But you know what you what what you said about uh, what, you know focusing it is so much harder to actually do than it is the practicality of what you listen to of how what should be like you know, I don't want to get into this too much but um, you know I'm learning more and more in my life that the true subconscious mind is the body the mm-hmm. body is the subconscious mind because it's been programmed to react to certain events so often that it kind of dictates what your mind you know so you get up in the morning you do the same things or you react to something that happened and it's all the body Hmm. so in, in, in my way of thinking currently it's kind of like you have to take the mind and take control of the body once again, which was meant to be when we were first born. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what I mean? 
Well, I will say, and you just reminded me of something that I had, I had forgotten about. I had not thought about this in years. Uh, when I first got out of college, like I said, I thought I was going to be a high school teacher. That ended up not working out. Um, I tried a few different jobs. Um, I was a newspaper columnist and a stringer for the local paper. I was a bookstore manager. Um, I was a bounty hunter briefly and unspectacularly. And um, nice. I... In my capacity as a columnist for the paper, uh, I ended up going and doing a session with this um, Zen group that met in the basement of this uh, Unitarian church, and they would have their um, bi-weekly meditation meetings. And it was a really gorgeous June day, and I went down, and we sat in the basement. We all sat in a circle you know, uh, in, in uh, Zanshin, and we meditated. And about once every 10 or 15 minutes, everyone would stand up and they'd do one lap in a circle and they'd sit back down in Zanshin and do it again. And I did it, but I was getting itchy the whole time. Not literally itchy, but you know what I mean. And when I, um, when I left, I went outside and there was this dog play. And he was just doing dog things, running around, rolling, barking, you know, came up, sniffed at me, ran off. He was just, just so happy at everything around him. And I had, you know, what, what, what alcoholics refer to as a moment of clarity. I'm like, that dog knows where it's at. It was a gorgeous summer day. I was sitting in a dark basement humming. And this dog was outside having a fabulous time. And which one of us had, had the better day? So I right. think there's, I think, I think there's a lot of value in the mental discipline. And like you said, being able to exercise mental control over your body as opposed to vice versa, that's something that most people right. do do uh, do not achieve. Martial arts helps. Uh, meditation certainly teaches you that. But there is a certain, you know, I've got X number of days on earth. And uh, I ain't trying to spend them sit, sitting in a basement on a warm summer day. So there you go. Right. Um, Maybe that's more of an answer than you wanted. What was what was question two? Oh, Chuck Norris. No, no, it's, it's not more of an answer at all. That, that that's totally plays into what I said about the uh, the body being subconscious mind. I think your answer, or you know, what what was um, reflected to you in what I said for you to think of that. I think the listeners will totally realize that we're kind of in the same wavelength there. Wow, that's very meta. Um, well, here's the thing. Uh, it's it's funny if you talk to um, some of the other sects of uh, Buddhism besides Zen, um, they say that uh, the meditation and the seeking of enlightenment is just step one of their whole process. And, and the Zen Buddhists say that, well, no, no, that's just it. It's just sitting there looking for enlightenment. And then you're enlightened. Boy, howdy. Uh, um, there's, you know, Bodhidharma at the Shaolin Temple staring at a cave wall for nine years. That's nice. You know, if I was at the Shaolin Temple, I got shit to do that that, 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 that does not involve staring at a cave wall. Um, I've often thought, along with meditation, I guess it's linking in my mind with Buddhism, um, a lot of the similar sort of uh, esoteric practices, you can learn useful techniques from them. But taken as a whole, it seems to me a very negative you know the buddhists get into uh to live is to suffer and if you're and if you're happy you're only kidding yourself it's a just a period between suffering and we all suffer so we have to help each other out 
yeah, that's nice, but I ain't sitting around suffering all day. And I will say this right. for all of the, um, I was up at UVA once with my friend Lisa and uh, Desmond Tutu and the and and, and the Dalai Lama were uh, giving a speech. And and uh, Desmond Tutu got up and uh, he, I, I forget what he said, but he told kind of an off-color joke. And someone had to translate it to the uh, Dalai Lama, and the uh, Dalai Lama like wagged his finger at him and laughed. So the, uh, the Dalai Lama, clearly a great man, he's doing a lot of work for peace in the world and whatever. They have this thing called the Doctrine of Skillful Me, which is if you are – the example they use to bring someone to enlightenment is if there's a house burning down and there's people inside, you, you want to get them out. If there's an adult, you'll say the house is burning down and then I'll run out. If there's a small child, you'll go in and get them. If there's a – Teenager, it, it might be like, hey, hey, I have some candy out here for you. Whatever you have to do, you explain it at their level of understanding it. So they t teach what they consider the truth of things at your level of understanding it, which I get. But at the same time, it says to me that the Dalai Lama is more than willing to bullshit me if he doesn't think I can get it. Mm. So he, right. <laughs> I'll take what tools I can get from it. And, you know, there's no possible way this could be of interest to, to uh, people that want to watch me fight rebel aliens. <laughs> I cannot see. <laughs> but, uh, I see what you're going for, man. I think we just lost him. Wait a minute. I dick some more. <laughs> oh, wait. I haven't talked about my dick yet. Hold on. Um, too bad we don't have visuals up here. Um, as Chuck did uh, uh, Chuck Norris, I had a near miss with uh, last July. Uh, the show I mentioned, Star Stunts Action, it laid dormant for years and years, and it looks like, fingers crossed, it's finally coming to the air, and they're already talking about a season two. Uh, Chuck does his annual, whatever his karate federation is, they have a thing in Vegas. Uh, something weird just popped up on my screen here. Are you still there? Yeah, we're here. Yeah, I think uh, I think. Actually, it's 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 I, I gotta say before you ask the Chuck Norris thing. Yeah. I gotta give my opinion, Chuck Norris. Okay. Oh, wait, go it. ahead. All right, um, give me a lead. Go ahead. I, I I grew up. I mean, you know, being a fan of Bruce Lee, Chuck Norris, all these guys, acting wise at least. And you know what? Chuck Norris just got his black belt degree in PJHA. At 70-something years old. 70-something years. This is a guy who was in the Air Force and, and, and uh, learned about martial arts in the Air Force and became the uh, most known karate point system fighters in the world and, and starred in movies of Bruce Lee and then came out to his own career. And he was all these, uh, uh, you know, sayings on uh, Chuck Norris, you know, like, Chuck Norris does so many push-ups. He, you know, he doesn't do push-ups. He pushes her up, down, you know, all this and that, whatever. But, I mean, a, a man that's in his 70s, you know, I, I, I just have so much respect for him. Like, as a person, as a human being, as an adult, there's so many excuses to not go to the... There's so many excuses to not, uh, you know, meditate or not be the best you can be at a certain given time. There's so many excuses to party your whole life away or to, you know, do, do this and that. And Chuck Norris, I'll tell you, and, uh, 
I look up to that guy. I, I think I think I think he's a great human being to look up to because he's accomplished so much and he's just got so much willpower and so much uh, you know physicality to him and eating right and doing whatever he's doing. Whatever he's doing, he's doing right for him and and it's working. I, I got a lot of respect for that. Okay. Well, I'm glad you said that. Um, I short version. Yeah, I almost met Chuck, Chuck Norris last summer. We were going to have him as a guest. It didn't work. Work. It didn't work. Work out. Um, I have bought a Chuck Norris Karate Commando action figure for him to autograph if if I ever meet him. Nice. Uh, let me tell you my two Chuck Norris stories. Number one, personally, um, just before I moved to Los Angeles, I was working at Out, Outback Steakhouse, and I was super. I was just irritated. One day it was dumb. It was the Sunday after church crowd, and it was a bunch of senior citizens, and they were taking forever to sit down, like old people do in restaurants. Bless their hearts. Yeah. And uh, I came in the back, and I was just like, bah, 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 bah. I was just being a dick. I said something about um, old people taking so damn long to sit down. And Outback Steakhouse has all these, you know, televisions up around their bar area, right? Usually showing sports or whatever. Well, and our assistant manager trainee goes, "Now, Jason, be nice. We're all." Then he end up there one day, and right perfect timing, that Chuck Norris, whatever that Nordic track thing he has, yeah, yeah. that exercise, total gym. total gym, thank you, the yeah. Chuck Norris Total Gym commercial came on, and Chuck was, at the time, he's 79 now, Chuck was at the time like 73 years old, and was selling fitness equipment to people one-third his age, and I said, hell with that, you, you be there one day, I'm going to be there one day. So that's that's my canary in the coal mine. Chuck Norris is my role model as far. I mean, look, dude's in his seventies selling fitness equipment to twenty year olds. Like, mm-hmm. that's dude, what, listen, look, listen really quick. I, I know someone that has a total gym who's in their thirties and gotten in great shape since they bought it. Oh. That shit works, dude. I, I tried it. That shit works. Yes, um, to, yes, total gym. If you're listening, um, we will be happy. Send us your product, and we will be happy to endorse it. I'm expecting one in the mail. Okay, the other thing, true story. Um, this is in my this is in my book. Uh, I wrote a book a few years ago uh, called uh, 21st Century Warriors. It was profiling um, mixed martial artists and has some tech, tech techniques. You can still find it up. Buy my book, 21st Century Warriors, Secrets of the Martial Arts Masters by Jason William McNeil. That having been said um, – it's funny, I get residual checks now because it's been like 10 years ago since I wrote it. And about every six months, I get a residual check for like six bucks. <laughs> Wells Fargo wants seven fifty to cash them. <laughs> but, uh, but, so, um, but Gene LaBelle, you guys know who Judo Gene, Gene LaBelle is? Uh-uh. Absolutely, Judo guy. Actually, yeah. it's uh, uh, Ronda Rousey's uncle. Yeah, um, that when I met Ronda Rousey about five minutes before she was Ronda Rousey, uh, Big Mike Leader and I were interviewing Gene for the um, Shout Factory's um, Bruce Lee box set that they put out. And, of course, Gene was on the Green Hornet as a villain, and he told some funny Bruce stories and whatever, and he introduced me to his student, Ronda, and I was just like, oh, she's pretty. And then we just moved on. And, you know, three, three, three months later, she was Ronda Rousey. But um, Gene told me a story about Chuck Norris, and it's in the book, um, about Chuck came by to train at his dojo one day. Um, he was in town, 
and just wanted to train. This was like 15, 20 years ago. And Chuck comes by to train and I uh, asked Gene if it's okay. And he says, sure. So, so Chuck shows up and he's lined up in the back of the room and he's wearing a white belt. He lines up the white belts. And Gene says, yeah. And he says, Chuck, what are you doing? He said, you're a black belt. Are you trying to sneak up on me? He said, no, I, I don't have a black belt in this school. And Gene says, well, I appreciate that. But, you know, I always in my school, a black belt is always a black belt. Uh, so he, so I don't have one with me. So Gene took his belt off and he's, he said, here, borrow mine. He said, I'd like to know where the black belts are so that, the, so, that, so that they can't sneak up on me and embarrass me in front of my students. And so they, they train and whatever, and Chuck finishes training. And then he gets to the end, and Chuck goes to give him his belt back, and Gene just says, ah, keep it. Yeah, obviously, you lost your other one. Try to take care of this one, because Gene's like that. He has that sense of humor. And Chuck was so touched by the, and had so much respect for Gene for giving him a black belt that that's Chuck's black belt to this day. If you see a, if you see a picture of Chuck Norris wearing a black belt and it's got writing on it, it says Gene LaBelle. Yeah. And there's, and there's a very famous photo. There's a very famous photo that gets circulated a lot of, uh, Chuck with Bob Wall, who is a friend of his and runs some schools with him or something. Uh, Bob was the guy that got kicked in the balls in all the Bruce Lee movies. And they're sort of standing back to back in that pose. And you can see in the uh, photo, Chuck is wearing the Gene LaBelle belt. And uh, some apparently at a seminar, some kid asked uh, Bob, said, um, why does Mr. Norris's belt have someone else's name on it? And Bob takes the kid aside and he says, well, oh, the only way you're allowed to wear someone else's black belt is if you kill him in a death match. <laughs> <laughs> and so the kid looked com- complete. The kid went pale, you know, for the rest of the thing. And so Bob Wall calls up uh, Gene LaBelle and says, "You're never getting work in Texas. You're officially dead here." <laughs> right. That's uh, Bob Wall, Jim Kelly. It's that's cool, man. I mean, you know, uh, Chuck Norris is the real deal in my opinion. And the story you just told just proves it. Like, he's, he, he has absolutely every right to go shop as the black belt. No matter where you go, to wear a white belt because he doesn't have the discipline of that certain style. Yeah. And he's an actor well-known. That's just a lot for Chuck Norris. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know anyone who has anything bad to say about Chuck, Chuck, Chuck Norris. And, uh, Although I'll say that's one of the few. Uh, the only thing I can say I ever thought that uh, Ted that uh, Ted Cruz shows some spine that uh, Chuck was out campaigning for him, and maybe they did settle this or whatever. But apparently, when uh, Cruz's presidential campaign folded, he still owed Chuck a bunch of money for like appearances and travel and stuff, and Ted Cruz never paid him. So I don't know if Chuck just wrote that I, one off. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if politicians in general suck. Well, yeah, anyway, uh, it seems like there was a third, third, third part of that question that I don't remember. What was it, Jay? Oh, yeah, the third one was, uh, oh, yeah, it was about you meeting us. 
for cross-breeding. Oh. You, you said you came to Buffalo and you were like, oh, I hope like, they have something, at least like they can do something. Whatever you yeah. said earlier, you said like, you expected to come into Buffalo and have all these actors slash physicality people being like, not being able to do anything, but you were kind of pleasantly surprised. So it was, it was basically, it was me, it was Brandon, we started studying to be a Buddhist monk now. It was uh, Stink Fisher, and um, John, and uh, uh, Anthony Lanier, and all of us. Antoine. So I guess my third question, Antoine, yes, Lanier. Uh, I guess my, my third question was, um, what's your actual opinion of us doing the uh, fight kind of career? Um, expecting what you expected and seeing what you dealt with. Well, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, Brandon told me that he had um, he had tried to cast physical guys and he looked at everybody's resume and whatever. That having been said, um, you never know what to expect. Um, there's a lot of actors with delusions of grandeur. Um, I st- there was a there was a guy on set. He ended up being a very good. He was he was just there for one day, I think. Uh, it was just sort of like a random cloud, whatever. And uh, yeah, he was like he was like uh, 22 years old. He introduced himself and said, "I was like, well, what can you do?" He told me he was a seventh degree black belt at 22. And I was like, I thought I thought I heard him wrong. I thought he said second. I was like, excuse me. <laughs> and he said, no, no, I'm a seventh don. And I was like, you're sick. Years old, okay, whatever. I said, but that was not my question. Well, what can you do? And so he showed me some kicks and stuff. Um, um, my teacher mentor that I mentioned, uh, Anthony Delongis, he told me always find out what the actors can do and then use their skills on set. Um, and I've taken that to heart. I actually I did a music video years ago for um, Moonshine Bandits, where uh, terror. Patrick was the star of it. Let me make another porn reference. But uh, it was uh, a takeoff on Roadhouse. It was Tara Patrick beating up people in a bar. The song was called Dive Bar Beauty Queen. Uh, video ended up being not that good. I think it was something with the editing. But anyway, um, I was asking the director the whole time, um, so what can Tara Patrick do? What can she do? What can she do? What is her kitchen? She did she do baton in high school? You know anything? Tell me some skill I can build build a set around. And he didn't know, so I ended up I actually went out and bought her autobiography and read it, and then found out she had a dance background and whatever. Okay, I can do that. And now, you know, I'm sitting on the uh, Metro reading the porn star biography. But Tara was Tara was lovely, by the way. Um, did exactly what I told her to. It was. That, that's another story. Tara, Tara was actually one of the best actresses I've worked with as far as doing physical stuff. But that's not what you asked me. Um, you guys, I was very, very pleased because everybody had a skill. They all had something that they were good at. And furthermore, you knew what you could do. And you didn't try to bullshit me. It was like, okay, I can do this. I can't do that. And okay, we can build around that. Uh, it's one of one of the best physical crews I've worked worked with. And... Like I said, that was why we had that first day where I was like, all right, let's see what everybody can do and find out if anybody's been bullshitting me. No, everybody really could do what they could do. I mean, you get there and you work with Stink. Obviously, 
Stink was a professional foot, foot, football player, I'm not going to have him do a jump spinning kicks. But, you know, so we build to his strengths. I built to your strength. You had a very good martial arts background, so we built to your strengths. Um, I was very, very impressed with um, Antoine Lanier was a hero cop. You know, he's a retired hero cop who decided to, for his second career, to be in the uh, movies. So we, so we built around that. So uh, I was very, very, very pleased with you guys. I think everybody who sees this film is going to love the action in it. Yeah, I will say that the the, uh, the fight scenes and stuff were were pretty good in the film. So that that's makes me happy. Okay, I yeah. stopped thinking about that. I'm like, pretty good. What do you mean? They were <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen the fight. I, so I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> um. Uh, so lastly, because it's almost, I think it's two hours now. We don't want to keep you going, but oh, 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 no one's listening anymore. <laughs> What what I have to what I'm what I'm requesting from you now since you've mentioned Canon Films Chuck Norris and that you're a writer is I requesting that you write a Chuck Norris script a la Canon let's say Invasion USA Delta Force style and I want to see that filmed produced. We need to bring back those '80s action films, and since you have stop, stop, you stop. What? We need to bring back Jason. I want Jason John Beebe in that film. <laughs> well, I, I'm tired. I'm trying. I'm tired of being your pitch man because every time I try to pitch you, continue, continue. Every time I try to pitch you, you freaking you say something stupid. So, um, no, no. I, I want you. You're like the perfect person, Jace, to. Bring back this '80s American Ninja sort of film. So you have you have all you have the writing, you have the knowledge, you have the acting, the stunt, and you know all the players. So I'm asking you, as a favor, to sit down tonight, come up with a American Ninja Part Five. And and uh, let let's let this let's get this guys these uh, '80s films back on screen. All right, just movie nerd Stress. moment. There actually, there actually there was an American Ninja Five. Um, hang on, if I remember correctly, Pat Morita was in it, as was my buddy James Liu, who I mean just just won the uh, Emmy for, for Luke Cage. And it was terrible. <laughs> but in a fun one. So we'll have to do American Ninja Six. Well, that's what, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, uh, American Ninja Six, whatever. It just, even if they're bad, they're still good. Oh, God. You know what my dream project has been? And now it's not going to happen. My dream project, people always said, if you could do, if you just unlimited funds, you do any movie that you, that you want. You know what it would be? Cannonball Run Part Four. Oh, nice! Cannonball Run Part Four, and not a reboot or anything. Uh, my buddy Dave and I sat around one night. My photographer Dave, uh, we sat around and um, came up with Cannonball Run Four, just the next movie in the series. And now everybody's dead. Burt Reynolds just died. Dom DeLuise died. Um, Roger Moore passed away, right? And it's just yeah. everybody's dead. There's, there's, there's nobody left but uh, 
Bryce, I think Barbara Fox is the only one left. So there's no one to do it. So I'm just going to sit over here and get like, eh, sad. Well, they tried to, uh, they tried to copy that style with uh, Rat Race, right? So. Oh, I haven't seen Rat Race. Yeah. It's well, the thing I saw. Actually, I took, um, I went and saw pitching other people's movies, but just spreading the gospel. Um, best thing I saw all last year. <laughs> And I haven't I haven't heard anything from award season about it. The best movie I saw last year, hands down, was Bad Times at the El Royale. And I'm not even in that one. I'm just telling people, do yourself a favor, watch this movie. Um, even though it is kind of weird when well, spoilers, but um, when what? Well, where, where can we watch it? Is it a uh, is it a YouTube thing or is it like uh, a VOD thing? Now? It's streaming now. It's Amazon Prime, and it just released in Redbox. I saw it at the theater uh, when I was in for Slagle's wedding, and I had a little time to kill uh, before I had to fly out for something else. So I went down to the Arclay Theater and watched it, and was blown away. And then, okay. um, in, it's in Red Redbox now too. But when uh, what's his name, uh, Chris Helmsworth, when he plays the obvious Charlie Manson, uh, I remember being struck. That was the only weird thing. It's not called Charlie Manson, but that's clearly who who. It, who it's based based on? Uh, he uh, he looks like me as Terry Melcher playing Charlie Manson, which that was a little unnerving. But uh, besides that, hands down best movie I saw last year, and I wasn't even in it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So go out and rent everything with me in it, and then bad times the OL too. Well, I, I will I will wrap the show by saying uh, on February fifth that people should go check out Crossbreed because. Um, it is it is a good movie, and um, I think both you guys did really well in the film. Um, I won't say you know what happens in the film, but um, maybe in, after the the movie comes out, we can actually discuss the film. But uh, definitely check it out. It, it, it Brendan did a really good job with uh, with the film. Yeah, I I got the most. I said, you know, my favorite bad reviews. I got my favorite kind of backhanded compliment I've ever got uh, from one of the reviewers. I, f- I, f- I forget which one. Uh, somebody called me um, the Ryan Reynolds of direct-to-video. <laughs> so like, That's uh, not bad. I mean, I'll yeah. I'll shake it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> yeah. That's not bad. Um, all right, so let, let's wrap it up. Jace, you have anything else um, you want to mention or anything to plug besides uh, – no, I'm not, I'm not really, man. I'm, I'm glad we got Jason on here for the interview. And uh, I'm going to go see Crossbreed. And uh, Barcelona is awesome. And I've been drinking vodka. And everyone have a great night or day or whatever whatever you're listening to. Day or night, have a, have a good one. Yeah, what, about, what about you, Jason? Guys, I appreciate it. Hey, um, just... Watch Crossbreed. It's coming out in 20-some days. I don't know when this is going to air, but February 5th, watch Crossbreed. I'm proud of it. Um, I think maybe I've finally made a movie that my mom's going to watch. So we'll see. <laughs> 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 oh, we may have to fast-forward nice. some, some, some parts. All right, cool. All right, well, thanks for having me on, guys. I will uh, I will catch up with you later, all right? All right, Chase, man. Thank you so much. All right, man. I'll see you. Yeah, I'll see you. Get to premiere. See you in Beverly Hills, man. Bye-bye. All right, take care. Hey. All right, Jason. <laughs> hey, don't play. So yeah, um, he, he's a cool cat, man.
Yeah, yeah, he's definitely a cool guy.